We're going to read together from the scriptures. We're turning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on mine handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope. We'll end the reading there at verse 26, and we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now tonight, I'm beginning a mini-series of sermons entitled, Considering the cross of Christ. And it's my intention to preach them here during the month of April, maybe even the first Sunday night in May. Now my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 2 verse 23, and my theme this evening is to consider the plan of the cross. The Apostle Peter said, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. When the day of Pentecost was fully come and 120 disciples were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and I want you to understand at that time in Jerusalem, there were thousands in the city in the feast of Pentecost. And here's the nations round about. They've all gathered into the land of Israel. They're in the holy city. And each one of them heard the word of God preached in their own mother tongue. 
And here's Peter on this occasion. Uh, he preaches a, a powerful message on the true gospel of Christ. And, and that powerful message centered on the person and work of Christ. Uh, some who heard Peter uh, preach thought the disciples were drunk. He, he denied this. He said in verse 15, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And um, in, in speaking of Christ through the prophecy of Joel, he particularly emphasized the cross of Christ. Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he adds, ye men of Israel, hear these words. And he starts speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. And then he adds, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Here's Peter. And who those who heard him preach... Notice that when he preached about Christ, he particularly emphasized the cross of Christ. I want you to notice he didn't mention the politics of the day. He didn't start dealing with the issue of keeping slaves or other social injustices. He didn't start talking about the mysteries of the Eastern religions. He didn't start um, talking about uh, the old ancient Greek philosophy. He didn't preach about the benefits of being a Jew or anything to do with Judaism. He had one message that day. And under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he, he preached a powerful, passionate, pointed message. And he directed the hearts and minds of his hearers to the story of the cross. Verse 23 is really about the story of the cross. Peter had one message in mind, the cross of Christ. And of course, we can learn from that as a preacher. The cross of Christ stands at the center of the gospel message. There's no real blessing, no real hope, no real glory, no real joy, no real work, no real witness possible apart from the cross of Christ. Remember when Paul was in Corinth? What was he determined to do in Corinth? We read there in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul gloried in. In the book of Galatians, he talks about glorying in the cross of Christ. Galatians um, chapter 6 and verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You see, every aspect of the cross transfigured Paul. It filled his heart and mind with joy. He valued it. I want to ask tonight, how do we view the cross of Christ? You see, many today have a loose understanding of the cross. Many treat this subject in a very superficial, uh, light-hearted manner. The, the, the cross seems to be glamorized by Hollywood. Many treat it lightly. 
They, they, they have a disdain almost for the story of the cross. Therefore, they think so little about it. And I'm not asking you tonight to consider the wood of the cross, but I want you to think about the work. I'm not asking you to consider the shape of the cross, but I want you to think about the substitute on the cross. I'm not asking you to think about the design of the cross, but I'm asking you to do you delight in the cross work of Christ. I'm not asking you to consider the sign of the cross, but I'm asking you to think about the sacrifice of the cross. You see, if we were to ask Peter, if we were to ask Paul, invite them up into the pulpit and, and say, how are we to view the cross of Christ? What would be Peter's first answer? I believe his first answer would be this. It was planned by God. It was appointed by God from all eternity. We're coming up to Easter. The, 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 the Christian world will not dispute the fact that Christ was arrested. They'll not dispute the fact of his ungodly trial. They'll not dispute the fact that he was scourged and beaten with whips. They'll not dispute the fact of the crown of thorns placed on his brow. They'll not dispute the fact of the walk of shame to Calvary. They'll not even dispute the fact that it was Simon of Cyrene who was forced to carry the cross there. They mightn't even dispute the fact that he was um, put to death by crucifixion, a most horrible, brutal means. They'll not dispute the fact that he was buried. They might even dispute the fact of the resurrection. But we want to ask them as they, they think about the cross of Christ and the crucifixion, why did the Savior die? You see, many believe that his death was a mistake. That it was not meant to happen. That, that something went horribly wrong. That there was a miscalculation somewhere down the road. And the cross, the death of Christ and his blood shedding, they, they talk about that as being Christ's biggest mistake. But I want to tell you that's a lie. That's utter rubbish. In fact, it's heresy. And we would want as a church to denounce any church man who says the death of Christ was a mistake or come up with any other theory. Because the cross of Christ was not unexpected. It was not unforeseen. It did not happen unawares. Did you know the death of Christ was planned by Almighty God? And I can talk tonight about the appointment of the cross. Hence my title, in a simplified way for the young people, consider the plan of the cross. And that's what we want to do tonight. Consider the plan of the cross. I want you to notice that the cross work was planned by a compassionate sovereign. Look at verse 23. Him, that's a reference to Christ. Link it up with verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him. So, so it's a reference to Jesus of Nazareth. And what do we read about him? Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, the word foreknowledge there, it's not just knowing ahead of time of a certain event that was going to take place. It, there's more to the meaning of the word. 
It means to determine, to choose, to appoint ahead of time. And if you study Peter's sermon, the minute he starts talking about Joel, and then he says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call uh, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as he thinks of that word saved, he's thinking of how, and he wants to introduce us as quickly as he can to the cross. And what do we do when we study this sermon? We discover he's setting forth the plan of the cross. God himself, as God the Father, determined, planned, appointed the cross work of Christ. And he did so by an eternal decree from all eternity. Actually, I want to tell you tonight, the cross was no accident. It was no afterthought. In eternity past, God the Father planned and determined what was going to happen. Sinful men, of course, did not know it. But God was using their wickedness to fulfill his holy purpose. So as you think of the cross work planned by a compassionate Savior, I want you to understand that it was divinely planned. It was God the Father who planned it. It was eternally planned from eternity past, before the creation of the world, before time began. It was foreordained. And I want to tell you it was particularly planned. Every minute detail that went into the planning of the cross of Christ was involved in that eternal agreement. When you think of the cross, when you think of Christ and the tree, I want you to think of the triune Godhead appointing and planning from all eternity the death of Christ there. If we were to think of a few references, turn over there to the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 22. This is to do with the Lord's Supper. We had the Lord's Supper this morning. In Luke 22, the Lord Jesus said, but behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Verse 22, and truly the Son of Man goeth. This is Luke 22, 22, as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is depraved. That word determined means planned or agreed or decreed. If you look at Acts chapter 3, verse 18, we read there, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his holy prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. And where do we get many of the details of the cross work of Christ? Well, we find them in the Old Testament scriptures. They were uttered. They were spoken and recorded by the mouth of all his holy prophets. Now turn over there to 1 Peter and look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and we'll go to verses 18 and 19. And what do we read there? For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now look at verse 20. Who verily, that means reference to Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who? Christ the lamb. Verily means truly, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. In other words, it was not just permitted. It was not just that God knew ahead of time what was going to happen. God planned it. And there's a difference. God ordained it. And, and that truth has been set forth in my text. Because we read there, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and for knowledge of God. And all these other texts that I've mentioned and many more beside set forth one central truth that the cross was not a mistake. It was not an unfortunate event. It was not an afterthought. It was not to show how a martyr dies or, or just to merely show us how much God loves us. It's central that we understand the cross was planned by a God who is sovereign from all eternity. And what was involved in that plan? Very, very quickly, there was a council involved in that plan. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made, met in a great eternal council meeting. And at the center, at the heart of that council, there was a discussion upon the, the cross of Christ. Could, could you think of that? In the council chambers of eternity, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Trinity in unity, having a council meeting. And, 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 and tied into that uh, council meeting was this uh, predeterminate council and foreknowledge of God. See, the cross was according to God's counsel. There was a covenant involved. A covenant is really an agreement. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, entered into an eternal binding covenant. And this is known in theological terms as the covenant of redemption. A covenant established for the salvation of sinners between the Father and the Son. You're, you're maybe more familiar with the covenant of works that God made with Adam, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And I think of our shorter catechism, it says, what special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? We read the answer, when God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death. Remember, Adam was a real man. Adam was a representative man. At that point, Adam was a righteous man. And then when Adam sinned, we sinned in him. And when Adam fell, we, we fell in him. And all mankind was plunged into an estate of sin and misery. And that's why we're born sinners. We're born with a bad heart and, and born with a bad record. And, and that's commonly called the covenant of works. Uh, and, and of course, there was another covenant that we want to talk about. And, and that is really a part of the covenant of redemption, which is known in theological terms as the covenant of grace. God the Father and God the Son, before the foundation of the world, uh, agreed upon a, a set of terms that became the sole basis of the redemptive work of Christ. And, and there's parties to that covenant. 
And there was a promise to that covenant. And there was a precept in that covenant. And there was a penalty. In other words, the salvation of all of God's people rested and rooted in this everlasting covenant of grace. And as part of that covenant, God the Father prepared a body for Christ. He became a real true man. His incarnation was necessary, his virgin birth. God the Father sent the only begotten Son into the world in the fullness of time. Again, the incarnation and the virgin birth. God the Father promised him that he would save the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God the Father promised him a seed that no man could number. Um, God the Father informed him that when he had come into the world, it would be necessary for him not only to be born, but to go to the cross and to bleed and to die. That's why the prophet said 700 years before Christ, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Doesn't Isaiah 53 and 10 say it pleased the Lord to bruise him? You think of the, the, the wounding of Christ. You think of the, the, the crown of thorns. You think of the scourging. Think of the, the nails hammered in. Think of the pain and the affliction. In every aspect, even to the point where he said, I thirst, was all according to the plan of a compassionate, sovereign God. Over there in the book of Hebrews, we read in verse 20 of chapter 13, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. How did he do it? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, the suffering of Christ on the cross, the death of Christ, it's all linked to the blood of the everlasting covenant. Do you, do you know there's a link between the shed blood and, and, the, and the covenant of grace? Zechariah 9 and 11 that we're going to study on Wednesday after or night talks about the blood of thy covenant. We've already read from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 about the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And you see, Christ had to die. It was agreed from all eternity. In fact, I believe Christ covenanted to die. His death was planned. His death was appointed. It was not an accident. There was no plan B. It wasn't a plan B because plan A went wrong. Christ's death has to be seen as part of the eternal, unchangeable aspect of the covenant of grace. There was a counsel. There was a covenant. Could I tell you something else? There was condescension. It involved the incarnation, Christ becoming a real true man, taking a flesh and blood body. Great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Christ was the God-man. He was nevertheless truly God, but he was also truly man. And as truly man, he was subject to weakness, he could weep, he knew what it was to be weary, he knew what it was to be in want. It also involved his sinless life. You think of Christ in these days of his humiliation. He made himself of no reputation, Paul told us. Philippians 2, 6 and 8. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was being found as a fashion as a man. Humbled himself and became obedient unto death. What sort of death? Even the death of the cross. Here's Christ coming into the world. And he's born to bleed. 
And here he's leaving the Father's side. And, 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 and he's incarnated in the womb of the virgin. He leaves the worship of angels for the, the, the derision of men. He leaves the throne of heaven for Bethlehem's manger that he might go to the tree. It's all here. It's all in these words. Being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. Him. Speaking of Christ. And it involves compassion. Why? Because... Of God's love to us. He said I've loved you with an everlasting love. He said I I love you freely. The Bible says the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was sacrificial love. It It was personal love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His love is undeserved. His love is unequaled. His love was unsparing because he spared not his only begotten son, but gave him up, delivered him up unto death, even the death of the cross, all to commend and demonstrate the, the, the depth of his love for us. So when you think of the cross work of Christ, I want you to think of the cross work planned by a compassionate sovereign. And here's what's involved, a council meeting in all eternity, involving a an agreement or a covenant involving the condescension of God the Son and involving a demonstration of compassion. I want you to think secondly and quickly. The cross work was proposed by cruel sinners. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Remember the crowd, crucify him. Pilate asked, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And they cried, crucify him. The order was given. The physical act was carried out by the soldiers. Think of them stripping Christ naked. Can you hear them driving the nails into his hands and his feet? Can can you hear the dull blow of the hammer and the blood and the pain? Wicked. Hands. Isn't that what he says? Cruel, ungodly men. The, the, the word for wicked is lawless. It's a strong word. Men who were convinced of their guilt, who knew what they were doing. The story told about two men who went to enjoy join an elite army unit and when both men applied they were turned down and they asked why and they were told well you're too short and one man started to argue but I'm bigger than him and it was discovered that one man uh, was two inches short and another man was just a quarter of an inch short in their own estimation they were only a little bit short but both were short and think of our catechism what is sin? Is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God? And there's no such thing as a self-help scheme or, or a self-improvement scheme. And, 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 and there's no um, uh, change by one's power or ability. I think of the children of Israel. They cried out, let his blood be upon us and on our children. And isn't this what Peter was referring to when he said, ye have taken... Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Ye have taken. In other words, you consented to this. You you cried out for this. You wanted this. 
And that's not only true of the children of Israel, but it's true of us all. Because it was really our sin that nailed Christ to the tree. Your sin and mine, he bare our sins in his own body in the tree. Think of Christ dying as a substitute, a sacrifice, a sin bearer, a surety, a sin offering, a saviour. He's there, he's dying in the place and room of all who would trust him as Lord and saviour. And yet despite those wicked hands, that cross work proposed by cruel sinners, their wickedness, that human duty and responsibility fulfilled the very purpose and plan of God. God was working behind the scenes. And not only did he know what was going to happen, but he had foreordained it. I want you to think of something else as we close. The cross work is proclaimed by a crucified saviour. I want you to think of the hands of Christ being nailed to the tree. And remember what we read in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39 in one of his post-resurrection experiences. He says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Behold my hands and feet. Isn't it interesting that his death wasn't by stoning? It wasn't by throwing him off a cliff. It wasn't by getting him to be attacked by a wild animal. Were there no lions or tigers in those days? Well, there was. There was even wild boar. It wasn't by beheading. It was by crucifixion. You see, as I said... The manner of his death was all planned. Now, now let me take you to (coughs) Psalm 22, verse 16. It says there in Psalm 22, verse 16, um, speaking of Christ, um, they, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, remember, this is a thousand years before Christ. They pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Was one of his cries that he cried from the tree. And here it is in verse 16. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Again, they passed, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vestures. That all happened at the cross. But they pierced my hands and my feet. A thousand years before it happened, this is what happened. They pierced my hands and my feet. And Christ says, after his crucifixion and his resurrection, behold my hands and my feet. And again in the prophecy of uh, Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, um, Zechariah the prophet makes a startling statement. He says this in 12 and verse 10. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So so here's the witness of the crucified Savior. Behold my hands and my feet. 
Because remember, the manner of his death was all planned. And here's the wonder of the crucified Savior. It's the only means whereby you can receive salvation. There's no salvation outside of or apart from the cross of Christ. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Why why are they reflected to to look at the, the, the hands of Christ? Because the hands of Christ remind us that it's no cheap sacrifice that was being offered. This is what it cost to purchase redemption. It cost the death and the blood shedding of Christ. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood is no remission. And I want you to think of the welcome. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. The welcome of the nail-pierced hand. It's the hand of Christ that's knocking. And he's knocking at your heart's door right now. And the cross work that was planned by God, that was uh, purposed or proposed by cruel sinners, is also proclaimed by a crucified Savior. And as you think of the planning of the cross, then you think of this fact that there's no salvation outside of or apart from the cross of Christ. And he holds up his hands to you and he says, behold my hands. Look upon them. Look at, look at the nail pierced there. This is how much I loved you. This is what I did for you. This is what your sins have cost me. And, and I call upon you to, to receive me as Lord and Savior. Is he knocking in your heart's door? How long has he called? How long have you kept him waiting? Many, many opportunities have come and gone. You you know that you want to be saved. You need to be saved. You have a desire in your heart to be saved. And yet tonight, you haven't yet just bowed the knee or or asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. He, He will welcome you tonight if you open the heart's door of your life to him. Remember what he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And it's the knock of the nail-pierced hand. And if any man, boy or girl, man or woman, hear my voice and open the door, what does he promise? I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. As you consider the cross of Christ this Easter, I want you to consider the plan of the cross. I want you to remember these words. As you think of him hanging there in agony and blood, he's been delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. He he was taken by wicked hands. He was crucified and slain. And it was all fulfilling the great plan and purpose of God to bring in redemption. May the Lord take these few thoughts this evening and bless them to your understanding. Uh, Next week, we'll look at another aspect of the cross of Christ.